What makes a great leader great? How do we create a high-performing team? And when we say leader, we mean everyone, because everyone is leading their own life. Will yours be a life by design or a life by default? Those are the big questions, and this podcast will answer them. Welcome to the Becoming Your Best podcast, where we help you apply the 12 principles of highly successful leaders, because great leaders will produce great results. Welcome to our Becoming Your Best podcast listeners, wherever you may be in the world today. This is your host, Steve Schallenberger. I'm delighted to have an adventurous guest with us today. He has a graduate degree in decision sciences from the University of Pennsylvania and has a fascination in how people and businesses can make better decisions. He's presented at business and Antarctic conferences, appeared on cable TV in the U.S. and on the internet talk radio programs. His talks focus on leadership, teamwork, and winning against the odds. He's based in London uh, and is a fellow of the Royal Geographic Society. He'll tell us about his background here in a moment, but welcome, Brad Borkin. Thank you, Stephen. It's great to be here. Ah, so delighted. And before we get started today, I'd like to tell you a little bit more about Brad. Brad talks in his book, Focus on the Real Life and Death Decisions Made by Early Antarctic Explorers and Reveal Amazing Lessons in Leadership, Teamwork, and Sheer Grit and Determination that can help all of us make better decisions in our lives today. And this can be especially useful when confronting adversity, and man, do we have adversity today, don't we, Brad? Sure do. We sure do. Also building effective teams and trying to succeed against the odds. All important skills in today's world. And I'll tell you why I've been so excited to have this interview with Brad. is one of my favorite all-time books is Endurance by Ernest Shackleton. Boy, talk about all of those things. I'm excited to have Brad share stories today. So before we dive into this interview, Brad, tell us about your background, including any turning points in your life that have had a significant impact on you, and how did you end up where you are today? Okay, well, that, that, that's a, a long question with uh, <laughs> a, a lot of places to go with that. I work for a large software company, so my career has been working for large software companies. And I've always had this underlying interest in Antarctica and the early Antarctic explorers, which really started from about the age of eight and having my mother working in a public library. And every day after school, I'd have to go to the public library and hang around until she got finished work. And just as typical eight-year-old boy would be just bored out of my mind until I picked up a book. And it probably was something like the book about the endurance, the Shackleton's voyage and, and where the ship broke up in the ice and they had a fight for survival. And it just captivated me and it just stayed with me for the rest of my life. But the turning point, I think what was interesting in the whole journey, I see as just a normal person working for large software companies and thinking that's my career. And yet in the back of my mind, there's always these Antarctic stories. And, and what was interesting was the more I looked at the Antarctic explorers, the early ones, they never achieved any of their primary goals. In fact, they all failed at their primary goals. And here I am trying to move up in the software company thinking, I'm not getting as high up as I want to be. 
<laughs> and the remarkable thing, when you look at, I'll tell some of the stories from the from my book, but it's also I mean, the real life stories from the explorers. And I got to a point where I'm thinking, I'm not getting to my goal. So what else can I do? And it was at that point when I put that, how do I put my two passions together? Focus on decision making, focus on Antarctica and their own expeditions and th thought. Actually, no one's ever written a book where they said what's the most interesting thing about the early explorers was the life and death decisions they made. And so at that point, I said, OK, I'm, I'm going I still work for, for a large software company, but I'm going to turn my life towards creating that book and, and writing that book because it was about not about writing history. What I'm interested in is writing a book for modern people, very similar to your book, in the sense that it's how do you help modern people make better decisions? And the Antarctic Explorer stories are the framework for telling how to make better decisions. Well, first, before we get going, for all of our listeners, that is so inspiring, Brad. Way to be. Way to take your native interest and, and figure out how to bring these worlds together and how to lift the world and make it better, just joining these forces in a way that are very positive. Way to go. That's inspiring. Oh, thank you. Thank you. You bet. Now, it's tell us about your book. The book is When Your Life Depends on It. Extreme Decision-Making Lessons from the Antarctic. Tell us all about that. Great. Yes, it's, <laughs> that's the title. So we tend to just call it When Your Life Depends on It. And it's the life and death decisions that the early Antarctic explorers made on the ice. And then what we can learn from them for modern-day decision-making. And the remarkable thing is they made a lot of life and death decisions. And they all came very near death all the time, but actually very rarely died. So in a way, it's very uplifting because you're reading about all this adventure and danger and science and discovery and exploration. And at the same time, it's about risk and danger and challenges. And I mean, at times they're starving, at times they have scurvy, at times they just have so much hardship. And yet, for the most part, they get through. And it's just the most remarkable, uplifting stories. And I think this is where it becomes so valuable for modern day people, because even ignoring what's going on in the world today in the early 2020, I mean, whether people listen to this audio even two years from now, and, and that hopefully this will be in the past what's happening right now in the early 2020, but the concepts that we all have adversity, whatever period we are in our lives, we face a certain amount of adversity. And here you have a bunch of people who faced extreme adversity for long periods of time and how they got through it. And, and it's just a, it's a great roadmap for how we can deal with adversity. The stories are really just incredible. And maybe I can just tell one and we could just give a flavor of it. Yeah, sure, please. I'm, I hope we'll be able to hear quite a few of these stories. Okay, so there's one story, and this was probably what struck me the most. Of all the stories, there's this one story where Shackleton, it's, it, Shackleton has gone out on Scott's expedition, the first real major expedition to, to Antarctica, where they're really going to try to penetrate the, to the interior of Antarctica, was Captain Scott's. And this is around 1903. So he takes a team of men, like 40 men, and they're really mostly scientists, and they're basically doing science down there. But Scott has this idea. He's going to take three men, and well, him and two others, and they're going to explore, at least travel as far as they can, giving them yeah, just to learn how to travel in Antarctica and get into the interior. And they know they're not going to get to the South Pole, but they're just going to try to get somewhere along the way. And they go about three or 400 miles. They don't get to their goal. So like I said, no one ever gets to their goal in Antarctica. <laughs> but they, they, so they miss their objective. 
by about 130 miles. And as they're returning, Shackleton gets scurvy. Shackleton, at this point, is a junior member of their team. Hmm. And he's literally dying. He's So they're pulling all of their belongings on the sledge. So they're cooked to the sledge by harnesses, as what they call manhauling. They're literally pulling the sledge along. Now, Shackleton is so weak and so ill and close to death that he's lying on the sled on top of all their belongings, which is their tent, their sleeping bag, whatever remains of food they have, their cooking equipment, their scientific equipment. And he's literally dying. And he gets they he does survive. They get back to base camp on the, the relief ship that comes back that next season to restock the scientists with supplies and food and things like that. Scott, Captain Scott, sends Shackleton back home in disgrace. Shackleton is what the term is called invalided back home. <laughs> and here you have this guy. He's got a lot of pride. He's got a lot of ambition. And he's sent back home to England. And you think, this guy, he's nearly dead. He, he nearly died. They missed their goal. And what's he do? You know, he doesn't walk, the, the remarkable thing is he doesn't walk around going, what was me? He comes back to England, tells everyone what a great expedition it was and how exciting it was to be in the middle of Antarctica. And yes, he almost died, but it was just absolutely thrilling to be there. And he wants to go back again. And it's just like he so took what many people would have just deemed as failure and just turned it on his head and said, this was a big success. And I think that's just such an inspirational story. Oh, that is, isn't it? Boy, isn't that a great lesson in life for people? Yes, exactly. And and then to take this to the next story, and this is where I really affected my life, was this next story, was he sets up his own expedition and spends two years fundraising and getting a ship and getting men and getting supplies. And and then he's like, well, we're going to go do back, go back to Antarctica, do what Scott did. We're going to follow the same route. We're going to take four men this time. And we're going to actually get to the South, South Pole because we now we know what to do. And now we've got a bit more experience. They get to within 103 miles. So they've walked about 700 miles, pulling a sledge, and they get to about 700 miles, so about 103 miles to go. And they're running out of food. And they know they're going to run out of food on the journey back. So the question then becomes, what do you do? Your goal is in sight. You've spent two years setting up the expedition. Your goal is in sight. What are you going to do? And this is really quite remarkable. But you think it's, almost, it's like a binary decision. It's like either you go forward and you'll probably die on the way back. Well, almost guaranteed die on the way back because they have so little food left. Or you just turn around. I mean, it really just feels like one or the other, doesn't it? But Shackleton sees a third way. He's like, no, what we're going to do, we're at 103 miles. We're going to leave the tent, the sleeping bags, everything behind. We're going to walk <laughs> south as far as we can for one day. We'll plant the flag and we'll turn around and start heading home. And the question then is, why did he do that? And he did that because he wanted to cross the 100-mile mark. He wanted to be able to get back to home to England and say, we got to within 100 miles of South Pole, which he thought sounded a whole lot better than 103 miles to the South Pole. <laughs> and it's just a way, how do you deal with fail, you know, modern day business? How do you deal with failure? How do you deal with setback? How do you deal? And I now think of it as like, you plant the flag. You, you say, okay, now we're going to plant the flag and go somehow eke out a victory out of this. And this is really what I did with my career was I basically said, okay, I've gotten to this level in a corporation. This is where I'm going to plant my flag, and now I'm going to turn around and find my next goal. And my next goal was was working on the book. They're just inspiring stories like that. Well, what a terrific insight. And wow, that's so powerful, isn't it? That it's not necessarily binary. We want to be thinking about all of the different options. Is that one of the things you've discovered from these stories? Yes, exactly. I think there are many times, and Shackleton was really the best at this, but actually all the explorers were, 
that there are times when it really feels like you've got a choice, which is A or B. You get so caught up in, in this A or B, you actually miss that actually there's a third option. I just need to finish that story because Shackleton, so he's missing his goal. He spent two years, like I saying, buying expedition, raising funds, all this stuff. He misses his goal. He writes to his wife. He, he sends her a letter. He says, I thought you'd rather have a live donkey than a dead lion. Ah, ah. <laughs> oh, that's great, isn't it? Good job. Good perspective. It's, it is. It's, get, just, get, it's just amazing. It's yeah, just, live you know, to I, live to go after it another day, right? Learn what exactly for, gain exactly. the lessons you've learned, and good. I mean, I could go on for hours about this. There's so many, so many lessons that come out of the out of the books that you that bring into modern living. Was one thing that they were very good at was making decisions. Every time they came to a decision point, and this was true across all of the early expeditions, that they made decisions. They took them on head on and they were just like, we're here. We've got to make a decision. And they made decisions very quickly. Yeah. Our book opens with this incredible story of of these three guys on the ice. We don't tell you who they are. Just the three guys on the ice. They've gone out 750 miles. We don't tell you what who which expedition it was on or anything. Just like they're and they're on the way back. And similar in a way to the Shackleton story, they, one of them gets scurvy, mm. but he actually is their commanding officer. Yeah. And he says to them, they're, and he's really literally dying, and they, they've got like 200 miles to go, and they're pulling him along on the sledge, and it's just there is a really in dire straits. And and he's a commanding officer, and he basically says about 70 miles to go to base camp, and there's just no one going to come out to rescue them because there was just no communication. They had no communication method. There's nobody's going to come. They had no telephony or radios or anything. So he says to them, you know, we're all running out of food, we're all, you know, and I'm just wait, weighing you guys down. So you go carry on without me. Just leave me on my sleeping bag on the ice and basically to perish. Wow. And when they hesitate to make a decision, you think about this difficult, complex, moral, ethical decision. He says, I'm your commanding officer, which he was actually in this situation. He would you know, these three men. He actually was their commanding officer. He said, as your commanding officer, I'm giving you a military order you know, to disobey his mutiny. Ah. But they made a decision very quickly. They decided to stay with him and that they would continue on <laughs> as far as they could go. Wow. And it's just a remarkable, remarkable story about survival. And, and like I said, they all came near death very a lot. And he did survive. He said he had a very long military career. This He was Lieutenant Evans. He had a very long military career afterwards. And he said, in like being part of the Royal Navy for 50, 60 years, he said the only military order he ever gave that was disobeyed was that one. Wow. And they survived. That's amazing, isn't survived. it? It's just a remarkable story. But it's like, but the thing was what they were able to do, and it's, I think this is important in modern business, is people say, we're here now. And this is true, even like when you look at like where we are right now in business today, we are where we are. And you can, you can't blame situation things. You've got to focus on where, how do we set our, take our next step forward? And in Antarctica and the cold and the winds and the terrain and, and the frostbite and all the different things they're, they're suffering or risking that you can't waste a lot of psychic energy being, oh, why did we get here? How did we get here? What, oh, look at all the things that went wrong. Look, blame this guy, blame that guy. They just said, how do we move forward? Oh, great. A good lesson. Yeah, that is. Well, Brad, uh, from your experience, what are, say, the three biggest leadership lessons you've learned from doing the research for your book? Well, I think one of them was probably the most interesting one was the idea of the second in command. 
And we don't see this in modern business today. We, we tend to set up teams and work for a big software company. We set up teams all the time. We tend to have, here's a team leader and here are the people on the team. And the second in command concept in Antarctica, everything was done in teams. They were done in small teams of three people, five, four people, 10 people. But whatever team they had, there's always a second in command, whether it was a spoken, this guy is the second in command or it was unspoken, but it's very clear this guy was second in command. And, and I think this is a wonderful concept that businesses could use because that second in command enables the other people on the team to go to somebody who's not the leader and gripe about another person or sort of get more guidance about a task that they're unsure of without feeling like, am I jeopardizing my job? Is the boss going to think I'm an idiot? Whatever. It's like this. So it's, it's, it's actually a structure that works exceedingly well that I think it would be great to bring back into business, but hmm. it was, it worked really well in Antarctica. The one thing about these expeditions, they're all multi-year expeditions. So they're there over the, the summer. There are, well, the Antarctic summer is still frighteningly cold, yeah. but they're there through the winter when it's dark for six months of the year. And yet across these six expeditions that we studied, there's not even a history of fistfights. There's no murder. There's no mayhem. There's no sabotage. These people acted with purpose. Hmm. And they is just remarkable because certainly in other expeditions to Antarctica, to the Arctic, around the world, there have been just horrible situations of murder and, and things like that. And, right. and yet here you have these people acting purposefully. And I think that's the second big lesson was that everyone knew the purpose, this sense of knowing why you're there and the role you play and the value you play in the team, in any team or in the big expedition team. I think it was that was important. The third one was really around the concept of they couldn't always make perfect decisions, but they had this sense of, and this was from the leaders downwards, that even if we make a bad decision, we we are resilient enough to recover from it. And that's that's an important skill. I think a lot of times we make a bad decision and everyone's like, oh, it's like we made a bad decision. It's like, wait a minute, how do we <laughs> figure out the strategy that we're all resilient, we're all brave, we're all have the wherewithal to figure out what's the... How do we get out of this bad decision? How do we start making good decisions? Wow, that's good. That's something I don't hear often, but I love it. Just kind of the recognition that, listen, we're, we're in this together. This is a process, and, and we're going to make the best decision we can. And if it doesn't turn out perfectly, we're resilient. We can fix this and get to a better place. And you're saying it works out? Yes, for them, it, it, it always worked out. I mean, there's, there's great. I mean, you were talking about the endurance at the start of the show, you were talking about the the book Endurance, and and this is where Shackleton's ship gets crushed in the ice. So this is after the South Pole's been been conquered, and now Shackleton set up another expedition where he wants to get to be the first set first team of people, first man to walk across the continent of Antarctica. So he sets up an expedition where there are two ships, one going from New Zealand, Australia, New Zealand, coming down to one coast of Antarctica. They're going to lay depots along the way up about to the South Pole. The other ship that he's on is going to come down from the Argentina side and they're going to drop off a set of men. And and then that set of men, the Shackleton is going to walk across and then they're going to pick up the supplies from the other side. And I think that expedition is, is quite a remarkable one because Shackleton never starts, actually. His ship comes down into the Weddell Sea, which is the sea just off the coast of Antarctica near 
the if you're looking at a map of the world, just like the one closest to Argentina, and gets stuck in the ice and gets crushed, and then they're stuck for uh, trying to survive and trying to get out. And all they're left, all they have left is three lifeboats. Is how are these 28 men going to survive? A remarkable story. But they, the reason they got into trouble in the first place was was because Shackleton made a bad decision. Hmm. And the bad decision was there was a landing spot because you want to land, you don't want to land set up your camp on ice. You've got to set up your camp on the continental land. Even though the sea ice all around, at times the sea ice is sort of breaking up and you can steer your boat towards land. And he's like, well, I don't want to land here because we can get closer. So my starting points would save me 60 miles of walking. And, and so he gives up the first spot, basically. And they never found a second one because the sea ice just, just crushed the ship, just trapped, trapped the ship and crushed it. And, and they never the men never really blamed Shackleton for that bad decision. And I think that that sense of saying this is, you know, we are where we are and this, we've just got to move forward. And this sense of just being resilient and saying, okay, we've got a new goal. We've got to get ourselves home. And we've got to just you know, accept that we can, we, there's a bad decision, but we can recover from it. Okay, that's nice. That's excellent. Brad, how can we apply lessons learned from the Antarctic explorers to our lives today? A good question. It has a lot to do with what we think of as adversity. When I read these stories about the early explorers, I, I'd encourage your readers, it doesn't, it's what those, what your listeners, whether it's my book or there's so many wonderful books written about Shackleton, about Captain Scott, about Amundsen, about Mawson, another explorer. These stories are so inspirational because their decision-making was very pure. Their decision-making was, was they were on a place where they were not going to get any help from anybody else. There was no one they could call. They didn't have that sort of electronic equipment to call anybody. Even if they could call somebody, there's no one that had ever been in their place that could give them any advice. And when you read about what they endured and what they did and how they survived and where they got their inspiration from, it is things that we can bring into our personal life. Very much like your book in, in the sense of there's so many inspirational stories. Your book is filled with these wonderful quotes and wonderful stories. And, and the Antarctic stories are equally exciting. And they're at the same time, they're inspirational. And there's a story where Boston falls into grass. He happens to be on his own at this time. But that is a longer story about why he's on his own. But he's on his own. He falls in a crevasse. The only thing that holds him from <laughs> wow. death is the harness that he's, his sledge has not, using the British term, because they call it, they always call it a sledge, not a, a sledge, not a sled. But his sledge hadn't fallen in on top of him. So it's sort of anchored at the top on this ice. And he's like dangling below. He's <laughs> wow. very weak. He's had very little food. He's very malnutritious. And he tries to climb up the harness. So this, big, this rope, he's about 14, 14 feet down in the grass. And then you're, you're not wearing thinsulate. He's wearing like old-fashioned cloth, woolen clothing, heavy boots. It's like all covered in ice. And he starts to climb up and he, fall, and he falls back down. Ouch. And like the sledge doesn't come crashing back down on top of him. And he just thinks he should give up. But he gets inspiration from a poem that he remembers. And it's just like, how do we, you know, these stories are so fascinating because they, it's like you can apply them to your modern life. And, and it's like how, do, you know, when I really feel down, where can I get inspiration from? It may not be poetry, but it may be a story, a, a, a book, a quote. Like you have so many great quotes in your book. It's, there's so many things that you can get inspiration from to give you that little extra energy to, to get to the next day. 
Well, how inspirational. I can see that. Well, before we end up, and I'm always amazed at how fast this goes, what's one of your favorite stories? Another one of your favorite stories, oh, no. Brad. <laughs> um, actually, actually, this this is one of my favorite stories. I haven't, don't get a chance to tell it very much. But they, <laughs> well, after Shackleton's ship gets crushed in the ice, you've got 28 men, and they're on the sea ice. And because there were only about 10 men that were going to walk across the a- Antarctic continent, they were the ones who had first sleeping bags. In the military, even though it wasn't a military operation, it sort of was still, you had the officers and men. They were all male, but they always had this classification. The officers would get better food, they get better equipment, they get they get the better accommodation on the ship. The men were the lower ranking people. And so they end up, they're all on the ice. There are 10 first sleeping bags. The rest are these wool cloth sleeping bags, not as warm. And Shackleton's like, okay, where normally everyone would assume, the, the officers and the men would assume all the officers are going to get the first sleeping bags. That's just the way it worked. And Shackleton's brought everyone together and said, we're going to draw straws for who gets the first sleeping bags. And there's no trading. Once it's decided, it's tr- decided. He sets this up and remarkably, to the disbelief of every low-ranking man on the ship, they were the ones who got the first sleeping bags. None of the officers got first sleeping bags. Wow. Shackleton clearly rigged it, right? You know, he clearly rigged the the, <laughs> the thing. But it's like it was it was his way of saying we're all in this together. And rank now doesn't matter. It's about survival. That's awesome. Just a, just that, a great story, isn't it? That is just a like, great story. Yeah, very inspirational. So, any final tips you'd like to live, leave with our listeners today? Well, I think actually it was, it was funny. I had. I saw your list in your book of your 12 points and your last one is says, I'm just looking at it here, never give up. And that is exactly what I, we have actually as well as really the last point in our book Mm. is, is, and we say it quite slightly different. We say never, ever give up trying. Mm. And I think this concept that, yeah, Shackleton couldn't get to this, to the South pole. He got to 97 miles. He kept trying until it got to the point where it's like, okay, now we now we're really go risk our lives. But it, that's <laughs> the the concept of just never give up. Just keep on going, keep on going. It's one foot in front of the other and and just don't give up. And you know, you've got to find other angles. You may have to set new goals. You may have to pivot from one goal to another. You may have to look at how you change your teams around. You may have to look at how you how you nowadays it's like how do you rejig your business? How do you turn from doing X to doing Y. It's, but it's like, you just keep going, just keep pursuing and, and seeking and challenging yourself and, and achieving. Wonderful. And, and Brad, how can people find out about what you're doing? Well, my, my website is called Extreme Decisions, www.extremedecisions.com. But there's a dash between the words extreme and decisions. Okay. Extreme-decisions.com. The book's available on Amazon and on on Kindle. It's in print. It's in Kindle. And it's an audio book. And just a quick note about the audio book, because I listened to easily 100 voices before I chose Dennis Kleinman. Dennis has the most remarkable voice. I was trying to figure out what would early Antarctic explorers sound like? <laughs> and I thought, just Fenny, that's rough, gravelly, male, deep voice. That's just like, I thought, I don't have that. It's like, and I tried to record my own audio book, but then I thought after two paragraphs, I thought that's, it's just not working. And, and I found Dennis. It's just, he has the most remarkable voice and it's the most remarkable recording. And we ended up in Hollywood 
at the Voice Arts Awards for the best audiobook in the history category. We didn't win, sadly. We lost to uh, Cosmos by Carl Sagan. But it, we're in. We're up against a book that was up for Pulitzer Prize. All the other books were New York Times bestseller books, and then there was there was our book and a, a, a book about Antarctica. At that point, we had like twenty eight reviews on Amazon. But Dennis's recording was like that's what we're in there for. It was Dennis's voice on recording this this audiobook. So I'd encourage your listeners if you, you have a subscription to Audible, it's one credit. Uh, it's uh, it's just a remarkable rendition of the stories. Just incredible. Well, I cannot wait to get it. I'll start listening to it right away, Brad. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, we were there. The It was Vo- Voice Arts Awards. We were in Burbank at, at the at Warner Brothers Studios, a red carpet event. Sigourney Weaver was there and Van Jones. And oh, uh, uh, it's just uh, incredible. It's like, it's like the Grammys or the Oscars. They, they, a celebrity announces the category and then the the entries, and then they rip open the envelope, but it wasn't us. Yeah, oh, so, well, dang it. it Sorry was, about we that. We but what an honor to even be there, though, right? It was, yeah, it was absolutely thrilling, one of, the, one of the most exciting things in my life. And you talk about, when we started the show, we were talking about changing your life, and there's, like, things that change your life. Literally, uh, the change from saying, am I going to achieve my goal in the software business? And thinking, no, I'm not. How am I going to pivot from that and, cha- and choose another goal? And so many remarkable things have happened. And being on your show is at one of the, the highlights as well. Oh, great. Well, congratulations. And if you don't mind, before we, for our listeners, before we started uh, the show today, Brad and I were just visiting. Would you mind sharing your comment uh, in regards to becoming your best? I started reading this book and I thought all of these 12 points, every single one of them apply to the Antarctic explorers. When you look at what these guys achieved and the science discovery exploration in the most harsh conditions possible, every single point in Stephen's book, they applied. Absolutely. It was, you know, it's, if I had a, a cookie cutter, I could cut and paste my book into your book or your book into my book. Literally <laughs> every single thing. And, and these guys achieved the most remarkable things of science. And, and I know we're going to run out of time, but the baseline for science for climate change in Antarctica today came from these early expeditions. The banning of DDT in the early in the 1960s and 70s, when they were trying to prove that DDT was harmful and it was pervasive in animal species around the world, even in Antarctic penguins, people said, "Wait a minute! I suppose DDT is like inherent in a DD, in a in a penguin skin in a in penguins DNA. It's like part of their DNA." And they went back to Penguins' skins that are preserved because they're in taxidermy exhibits in the Natural History Museum in London, gotten from Scott's expedition in 1903 and compared to the skins, and they realized there was no DDT in penguins in 1903. There's so much science. They're taking the science that was done on Captain Scott's expedition today and applying the scientific methods we have in 2020 and analyzing their data and coming out with new results from data that was captured 100 years ago. Yeah. And it's just remarkable. Yeah. And then they're also, they were like the NASA of our generation, of their generation. They were like, we think of NASA as like all the spin-off technologies that came out of NASA. There are spin-off technologies that came from theirs. They're like treaded vehicles. They were experimenting with all-terrain treaded vehicles. This is before World War One tanks, before people made tanks or anything like that. They were playing around with treaded all-terrain vehicles, which are the basis for tanks. They're the basis for polar vehicles today. 
uh, the clothing. When we think about dressing for the cold, if you live in Minnesota, you live in, in Maine or wherever, and you wear layered clothing, all that came from Scott's expedition. Before that, explorers wore furs. There's so many interesting things that come out of these stories. Uh, well, that's remarkable. fabulous. Your, your book dovetails so well into into this. And, and I'd encourage your readers, your listeners to and readers to, to learn more about the airline explorers as well. Oh, that's really good. Well, uh, you know, I didn't invent those things. They came from research of what sets apart high performers from all others. Wherever we saw excellence, those 12 principles were present. And you just have observed them uh, and written about them in these uh, great leaders from the Antarctic. Uh, thank you, Brad. It has been such a delight to have you with us today. So fun, and we could go on, but uh, I'm excited to uh, to read your book. We wish you all the best as you're making a difference in the world. Oh, well, thank you, Stephen. It's just a pleasure to be here and pleasure to be on your show and to meet you. You bet. And to all of our listeners, this is a great reminder today. The things you're doing, your efforts, are literally leaving a legacy for others that you may not even be aware of. And just like these explorers, you you do these things, you make a difference, but it's still touching people 50 and 100 years later or hundreds of years later. So, well, thanks so much. This is Steve Schallenberger wishing you a great day and signing off with Becoming Your Best Global Leadership. Thank you for listening. Would you like help to apply the 12 principles of highly successful leaders in your life, in your family, or in your organization? Call us today at 888-690-8764 to speak with a helpful representative to evaluate your situation and how we can help. Or you can visit becomingyourbest.com. Whether it's a corporate training event, keynote, workshop, trainer certification, or personal coaching, it would be our pleasure to serve your needs. Once again, call 888-690-8764 or visit becomingyourbest.com today.